Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 7. That's where we'll be. We'll hit back in Acts chapter 6 a little bit uh, as we go into it. Um, this week is a week where we need to start our sermon in prayer. We always need to have it covered. But, um, but we're talking about home today uh, as we do that. And, and we have a lot of stuff going on around us, uh, whether I'm just reading more or, or what's going on. But, but there's a lot of hate happening. There's a lot of anger happening. There's a lot of brokenness happening. Uh, there are hate crimes, there are lust crimes, there are jealousy crimes, there are envy crimes, there are dishonor your father and mother crimes. There are all kinds of crimes happening. Um, whether whether they, they've been overlooked or whether they're rising to the surface, um, we have people that are, are being uh, targeted because of how they look, because of where they're from, how they speak, or where they've been. And I'm convicted today that, that part of the problem is, is we don't know where home is. In church, the reality is today we're going we're gonna to ask some questions that are pretty deep and pretty hard, even though they may be very simple, because we need to address something that's been brewing, because if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you know where home is, but my question is, are you living where home is? So today, I'm going to ask you to take off, so to speak, not physically, take off whatever t-shirt you've been trumpeting, whatever banner you've been waving, whatever sign you've been holding, whatever, uh, whatever mirage you've been putting up, whatever cause you've been fighting for. I, I'm asking you to lay all of that down because quite honestly, it gets in your way of seeing home. Now church, I, I need to let you know that that home is an interesting thing. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way before, but when you go on vacation or you go to, to visit someone or something causes you to leave home, um, did you ever go on a trip to where when you saw the Texas sign, you got out and took a picture? Like note to self, you live in Texas. Like that shouldn't be exciting. Why, why, why was it exciting after being gone a week and then driving back? Why was it exciting to be back in Texas? because it, it's home, right? I mean, let's think about it this way. I, I love going to my families for holidays and Christmas. We'll go visit Christy's parents and my parents and, and visiting and spending time with them is great. But that first time I open the door back to my house, do you know what it feels like? <sighs> yeah. It, note to self, I love visiting people, but I would rather have you in my house than I would go to your house because I know the rules in my house. And so at home, I'm at what? Home. You're like, Pastor, I hate having people over. I'm coming over tonight. Come on. There's something about home that's a respite. Even when home is crazy, even when home is destructive, there's still something about it that, that draws us to it. And I think that's because it's symbolic by God's design of, of home. And so we're going to be talking about that today, and I have a confession. Um, I, I don't really have a, a normal view of home. My parents weren't in the military, but we bounced around like a military family. Uh, I, was, I was adding it up, um, eight homes in 18 years, six homes in 10 years growing up. When I got married, Christy and I got married, I just thought you were supposed to move every two years because that was normal. So the first six years of our life, Christy moved around with me, sometimes just a mile and a half from where we lived. Excuse me, four homes in, in that time. We just bounced. We didn't have to change churches to feel like moving. It was just moving because home didn't have a lot to do with the location for me. And Christy, on the other hand, had lived in, in two homes pretty much her entire life. 
And so home as a place meant something to her. So I came to understand that, that I was a little off in how I saw it because home, to me, started being defined by different things. Still physical, still, still connected to this earth, but, but different. But whether it's a, a location or whether it's a people group, or, or, or family unit, whatever it is, I want you to know, I think that's God's design because something about that draws us to a purpose. Now, remind you that it is not all there is. There's much more beyond that, but God's design is this a desire for home stirs us. And quite honestly, the pages of history are filled with battles and war and death and discouragement because people are protecting a home. Or they want others to experience their home. Even now, as, as the world is captured by this virus, what's the real thing about? The fear of loss? Of home? My physical health? The fear of my home being attacked, someone I love or know getting this disease and struggling or passing away. I really think it's this idea of home that's captivated us. And, and what's happening is this. If we allow our idea of home to be not God's idea of home, regardless of what banner, sicker, sign, post you have on your wall, Regardless of how many highlights your Bible has, if your understanding of how you live for home versus what you may know of home is different, then you're going to have issues that will lead to isolation, to destruction, to protectionism. Church, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at Stephen's life today. There's not a lot to it. We're not told a lot about it. But, but what if Living for home is more than what we conceive of right now. If you're in your Bible, look it with me in Acts chapter 6. This won't be on the screen, so you'll have to turn there if you have a real Bible. If you don't, you can pull your phone out. I'm going to pretend that you're reading the Bible. All right? Acts chapter 6. Remember, we talked about the deacons being chosen last, last week. This week, we're, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper today, even, uh, it's even more so preferable uh, to this. Verse 8 just says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among them. Um, and then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, those of Sicilia of Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. So they secretly instigated men who would say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. So they stirred people up and elders and scribes. They came upon him and seized him and they brought before him the council. And they set up fault witnesses who said, the man never ceases to speak words of this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now pause just for a moment. This is all we've got at Stephen. The rest that we know of Stephen is just a speech, a conversation for lack of a better word. Stephen wasn't a preacher, remember, he was a layman, a deacon. His, his role was to assist the kingdom of God in different ways. He wasn't standing up, so to speak, in the synagogue, in the pulpit, teaching all the time. In other words, he was normal. And in his normalness, he had such a, an eye, an understanding of what home is, it wrecked everyone around him. Because I'm telling you, if you and I live 
for home or with home in focus all the time, you are going to do damage to the society around you by default. You don't have to carry a sign, banner, a t-shirt. You don't need a funny Facebook post or a tag. You don't need to say it in an ugly way because your life will be destructive and disruptive enough because home is different than what the home of the world around you lives for. And this is the problem. So we have two groups that we've been introduced in this story. One is Stephen, and one is the Pharisees and the scribes who brought them to his presence. Now, I want you to listen to the words that God uses, inspiring the word of God, right? Inspiring Luke to write, that he uses to describe Stephen and the Pharisees. So let's start with the Pharisees. Look in your Bible again at Acts chapter 6, verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council now go with me to acts chapter 7 verse 54 now they heard these things things that stephen was saying and they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him let's go a little bit further verse 57 and verse 58 but they cried out the pharisees with a loud voice they stopped their ears and rushed together at him and then they cast him out in the city and they stoned him all right, those are the leaders of society, spiritually and quite honestly, legally, through the eyes of the Jewish people under captivity. Now listen to what the Bible says of Stephen, chapter 6, verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, let's go back. They're throwing stones at him. They are taking his, his life. They are destroying any ounce of home that can be taken. Verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. And with this, he fell asleep. What do you hear? about those groups, those people. When you, when you see in the same scenario, in fact, Stephen under oppression and the Pharisees sitting high and mighty, the people around him, what do you see? Where is peace? Where is hope? Where is confidence? Where is assuredness? Where is hate? Where is anxiety? Where is fear? Note to stealth, if someone's throwing rocks at you, big rocks to take your life, normal, normal process would be protect this house. A little bit of fear may kick in. But who is afraid in this story? Who is angry in this story? Because here's what I want you to know. Everyone in this story believes that their eyes, their mind, and their heart is set upon home and they are protecting home or living for their home. You see, the Pharisees are angry because, because it's, what's going on here in, in Stephen's life is this. It's, he is threatening their understanding of home. This parcel of land that they live in is everything. Their unit as a people is everything. And Stephen is saying, that's not home. That's not it. That's a threat. And so this threat to them of home, it just, it rips them. It makes them angry. 
Why? Because they have to protect with fierce protectionism their most valuable things. Pause for just a second. Over the last 12 months, what has been the thing you have protected the most? Whether you're at home or whether you're here, what have you been protecting fiercely? What have you been protecting with every ounce of your being? Whatever your answer is, that's the home you've been living for. Church, the world will leave us to protect a worldly home with fierce protectionism. And, and to do so means we have to take our eye off of home. And the reality is these Pharisees believed every ounce of their being that they were protecting home. Let me tell you, the world, whether it be our leaders, whether it be a child, a teacher, or a friend, if their heart is not captivated by the reality of home, which is found only in Christ Jesus, in the dwelling place of God, then I want you to know they will not lead you to walk towards home. They will lead you to protect what they call home with fierceness. Whether that be a place, a person, a thing, or yourself. Watch any show. But better yet, just play back the movie of the last 12 months in your mind. What has home been? You see, they believed it. But consider what the word of God says about home. It is a sanctuary. It is imperishable. It is tear-free. I love this. Ezra 28, 24. There are no malicious neighbors there. What? It is a mighty fortress. It is a strong tower. Now pause for a moment. Which one of those words that God uses to describe the dwelling place where he is and where we are called to needs your protection? Which one of those places needs your fear? Which one of those places needs your anger to fight for it? Which one of those places invites you to do anything but rest and find peace? Church, our approach to home when set upon the Lord, upon the reality of home is a place of security and peace regardless of what's happening to us, regardless of what stones are being thrown, regardless of what the impact of our health is, regardless of what society is saying around you. 
And we can forget that when we stop leaning in to our relationship with God because that's the only place where home equals peace. If home is your children, they go away. They do. If home is is your spouse, our life expires. If home is a physical thing, times change. If home is this vessel, then you live in fear. Fierce protectionism of something you are guaranteed to lose anyway. That is not what we are called to. That is not the life we are called to because home is different. It is a sanctuary, imperishable, tear-free, mighty fortress, strong tower. Listen to what Stephen says when he's trying to to reason through the spirit with the people, uh, the leaders of the Jews. In verses two through eight, this is what the Bible says. Brothers, fathers, hear me. The God, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him there into this land which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others and would enslave them and afflict them. 400 years, I will judge the nation that they will serve. God said that after that, they will come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them a covenant of the circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the 12 patriarchs. I'm going to pause there. Because here's what happens. Stephen just starts showing us as as well with the Pharisees and the Jews something very clear. See, because they believed that home was a parcel of land and a people group within it. And they believed it fiercely, so much so that that drove them. And and all of a sudden, Stephen says, just so you know, was God not walking with and captivating Abram before he ever inherited a promise? Was God not moving with him, this this patriarch that we look up to, the promise of Abraham, we all go all the way back to it, and yet he was not given a foot's length of this land. Yet he still lived at home with the God, no matter with God, no matter where he was. And while he was not given that inheritance, he had these sons. And and even with, with Isaac. And Jacob, we, we start seeing his lineage being fulfilled. And then Abraham dies. Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt. And what did God do? God was with him. And in captivity and in suffering and persecution, not in the promised land, was God not with him? Was he not home with the Lord? Was he not having his eye on home while he was in Egypt? And then God saved his people. 75 people, verse 14 says in chapter 7. And they came into Egypt and and they moved out of the land. 
And then in captivity, God used Moses. Stephen says this. And what does Moses do? God says, I'm going to take you to the promised land, not home. And then Moses led him in the, the wilderness and they rejected him on Mount Sinai. They get the promised land. Things don't work out so well. So God says, I'm going to discipline you for a while. And so finally, what do we see? We see finally God letting the people come into the promised land. But, but are, are those really places that God is saying, finally, you'll be home? What if, Stephen is saying, what scripture is really showing you is the truth? That all of these promises, all these places, all these people in your life, they are vastly important. They are amazingly valuable. Don't downplay the blessing and the gifting of God. But what if they're pit stops, refueling stations? What if they're hotels? What if they're temporary and not permanent because something greater and more is to come? What would happen if we thought Egypt or we thought the promised land, this tract of land, this, this, this patch of town? What if, what if that's really not home? Are you really going to give your life in fierce protectionism of the Holiday Inn you booked for a weekend stay? Is that really, is that really life? Because the world is telling you it is, and Stephen's saying it's not even close. And it's difficult to disassociate these things. It's easy to, to confuse the place that we are with the place that we are living for and in. What Jesus says is the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you not understand that heaven is a literal, real place? The new earth is a literal, real place that you will literally, really live in Jesus Christ. But do you not understand that on this road in Jesus Christ, you are living in and for home simultaneously? That you are living in the call, in the life of our Father. Why? Because we live in Christ, and Christ is our bridge. We are living in Him. But if you and I confuse this place for home, then we'll find ourselves fighting with no peace, with no hope, with constant discouragement, because what is guaranteed to be lost will always be lost. And Stephen says, I get it. I get it. And he goes a little further into verse 45 through 50. He says, not only that our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern of his, what it was seen. In other words, God said, I'll give you a tent to remind you that everywhere we go, it's not permanent, it's not home. It, it, we're always going towards something else. They finally get into the promised land. Guess what the temple's still doing? It's still a tent. The, the reality is it's still this tent of witness in the wilderness. But then David has this idea. He's like, God, you need a permanent home. You need a guest house out back of the Holiday Inn. And God does so, two things. In his grace, he allows them to build him a guest house that he will visit from time to time. 
But in his sovereignty, he says something to them in verse 49. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? He told his people, I will let you build me a guest house and I will visit it from time to time. But this is not my home. So, so don't get so caught up in this that you miss life. That you miss living with your eye on what home is. Man, when, when this happened, they knew home could not be where God was not. Church, your guest house is not the eternal living or dwelling of the almighty God and I understand that we cling and run to moments and periods and places in our life when the spirit came down and he moved in a mighty way but don't turn a, a time of worship into an idol that you worship because home is not where God was it's where God is. Church, when Jesus said this, excuse me, when Stephen said this, verse 51, we see this happen. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcising your heart and ears, you always resist the Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, who you received, you who received the law as delivered by angels could not, did not keep it. And at that moment, they gritted their teeth. And the end of the dwelling place of Stephen would come to be. You see, church, what Stephen pointed them to was this. If I have another word, if I have another breath in my mind, it doesn't matter. You need to know home is not in this temporary dwelling of tents of men and women. All of those tents, all of those things God has placed in your life, they were to point you to where home could be found in the righteous one. And it is your call. Will you stand with the murderers or will you stand with his children? Will you stand in fierce protectionism of what Jesus threatens dramatically? Or will you submit and find peace in the sanctuary of the Almighty? The men didn't like what he said. So what did they do? They killed him. He was threatening their home. Stephen didn't fight back. He didn't need to because he was at peace. His sanctuary, his mighty fortress was there. The Lord had never left him because his eye was on home the whole time. Church, as you live today, I know the truth of, of what I am seeing and taking in, of what I'm battling with in my life. The last 12 months of our existence have been worldly focused and this home protecting than any period of life I've ever lived. It's the most selfish season I've ever endured. And, and, and it's made to be thought as right. And you're made to be thought of as wrong. If you aren't captivated by the temporary. 
Church, let me remind you, this is not our home. And so let me ask you what I asked at the beginning. Over the last 12 months, what have you been protecting with ferociousness? If it is not your focus on the one who has overcome, then I invite you today to repent. And find peace. I invite you today to abandon that and know the righteous one whom is your fortress and your protector. Don't get me wrong, the, st the stones are coming, but they're coming whether you live for Jesus or not. The question is, who do you stand with and what are you living and dying for? As we get prepared to take the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you to a different time of invitation, a time to prepare your heart. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Confess and repent if, if you've been living for something other than home. Things are going to change in the church for the better. Not First Baptist, I'm talking about the church as a whole. Because things are becoming very clear. And we must be willing to live for Christ and let him fight for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. God, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper today, uh, Lord, as, as, we, as we get ready to remember that we were made for more, not a parcel of land, not a people group, but for, their, for our Father in heaven who is almighty and sovereign above all who is our home. And through the righteous one of Jesus Christ, we can only find one way. So Lord, if there's anyone in this room or that's watching online right now, Lord Jesus, I pray that as they've asked themselves that question, what have I been fiercely protecting? If it is not my relationship with Jesus Christ above all else, Lord, in this moment, Father God, would you allow repentance to flood their soul? Lord, if they have not known what that relationship is, God, in this moment, would you point them to the righteous one who is the fulfillment of all prophecy, of all truth, so that they may have peace in the mighty fortress of their God. Lord Jesus, in this moment, let us know nothing other than the truth that where you are is our home. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with me this morning and just for just a couple of minutes, would you respond in preparation to receive the Lord's Supper? We're gonna do things a little bit differently. After the service is over and we dismiss, Pastor Mike and I will remain at the front. I don't want you to leave if the Lord is moving. If, if he's calling you to something without spending time with us, we'll wait, we'll linger. But in this moment, would you prepare your heart for worship through the Lord's Supper as we sing?
Blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste Of glory divine Heir of salvation Purchase of God Born of His Spirit Washed in His blood Perfect submission All is at rest I am the Savior Am happy and blessed Watching and waiting Looking above Father God, as we prepare for this moment, Lord, we just ask you to be present. Lord, you you have already told us what we speak back to you, that when we're gathered together, we are assured, Lord, that you're present. So Lord, as we remember what home is and who home is found in, would you walk with us in Jesus' name, amen. Would you go ahead and take your seats as the lights come up. As you came in today, we had Lord's Supper cups and they're a little different than normal. But Jesus gave us this, this symbol, not as a home, but as a reminder of home. And so if you have your cup, if you wanna peel back that first wafer. And I wanna remind you of something, when we take the Lord's Supper, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to remember with us. But if you do not, or if your child is not a Christian, tell them about it but they cannot remember something they've never found, amen? So, so articulate what they need to hear and see because mom and dad, you point them to home. So the, the Bible says that on that night that Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. Would you pray with me over it? Father God, what we hold in our hand is not home. It is simply a symbol of home found in Christ Jesus. He fixed what was broke by breaking what was fixed. And his body was broken for us. Lord, let us not take this lightly or momentarily, but thank you fixing the bridge that sin has broke that leads us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you will, that little tab that sticks up and you want to be kind of careful with it, it opens up the juice beneath. And the Bible says this, 
that after he broke the bread and they had taken it, that he had the cup. And he said something amazing about this cup. He didn't say this cup is miraculous. He didn't say this cup has the power to change. He says this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Not an old covenant that that kept pointing to the promise. But a new covenant that shows you I am the promise. That home is found through me. And it can never be taken away. Our strong tower, our sanctuary, our mighty fortress, our almighty God. It says he blessed it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do not understand the eternal. All we know is temporary in this life. So God, only in you, only through your son, only through the pouring out of your spirit and only through the gift of the new covenant offered, not earned, can we know life in you. And so today, Lord Jesus, we praise you for the new covenant. Lord, let us not be distracted by the temporary residences of this life, but let us remember our home is secured in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take it with me? Amen. Amen. Church, we have an amazing God. And we can't scratch the surface in an hour a week. So, so let me challenge you and charge you to seek home always. Whether it's an off-put spring break, whether it's a difficult season at family or work. Keep your eye on what home is and it doesn't matter what's happening around you or where you are. I want to tell you a couple of things. One, I want to ask you for prayer. Our, our personnel team has been working really hard with our nominating team. And when service is, is over, you'll see um, we are adding our youth search and a student minister search and our executive pastor search teams to that. And so, in fact, if their names, we can put them on the screen if they're up there. And I want to ask you to be praying for them. Oh, that slide is, yeah, that's not going to work right because I've input it wrong. Um, it's two groups. Our student pastor search team and our executive pastor search, I want to ask you to be praying for them. Our student pastor team, I hope I remember it all, is Zach Lerner and David Wood and Mike Criddle. Um, in the midst of that is Roxanne Franks and Jen Ung. On our, on our executive pastor search team, it's going to be Roger Recker, John Triplett, Everett Alley, and Eric Wald. Would you just be lifting those names up too? That God would show us whom he's calling to help stir our lives and, and encourage us here. I hope you got the letter we sent out this week. There aren't a lot of immediate changes, but I, but I want you to know, I believe wholeheartedly it's time for balance.
our society is about to reap the fruit of valuing the physical over the spiritual, of neglecting the emotional because of the fearful. There is no piece of legislation, there is no sign, no banner, there is no gimmick and there's no amount of money that will come in your pockets that will save from the harvest that is coming. Only Jesus. And so our steps as we plan over the next few months will reflect a reality that we have to balance our focus and draw us back to the cross. And it may take a little risk. It may take little struggle but the Lord of the harvest will bear much fruit and reap much in this season and so pray for our team as we seek the Lord's guidance and what that looks like would you stand with me Father God we love you we praise you for those who have volunteered to serve and to search. We praise you, God, for breathing breath into your church. Lord, we pray for our nation, our city, our community, and our world. Lord, I feel as much as ever that, that the thorns and thistles that have been sown in the reap, in the, in the wheat, are, are coming to fruition. And the time of harvest is near. So, Father God, let us not in our haste give up. But in your strength, see the life that has been darkened in shadows. Let us be your church and your bride under the name of the almighty God and his son who reigns, we pray.